Welcome everyone, I am Michael, your host for Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch, the prophet. This is the second segment of the revised summary discussion of part three. The Transfiguration of Noah. Noah describes his flesh melting away when the watchers abducted and transfigured him to have eternal life. So another possible meaning is that Enoch's body had been left behind on earth when he was taken beyond the earth's atmosphere. If it is the case that Enoch's body melted away as Noah described in his testimony of being abducted, then Enoch would have received a newly created corporeal form when the watchers returned him to the earth because his original body would have been discarded. Without his spiritual life force to maintain its functionality, the body of Enoch would have decayed and returned to being dust of the earth the same as all other creatures whose corporeal form ceases to function without the life force of the spirit. This theory proposes that Enoch's body was not preserved because he could be provided a new one at a later time, and he continued to live as an eternally spiritual entity after transfiguration. Accepting this theory also means that God only renewed Noah's body after his transfiguration and abduction, which may have been necessary to enable him to have the physical ability to build the ark. The spirit of Noah was taken from his body when transfigured to be eternal, and God returned his spirit into his body that was made new again. This is the same premise being argued about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His spirit was taken from his body and then returned to it once it had been renewed. In consideration of a theoretical renewal or replacement, the statement, No flesh shall be justified before the Lord means that the human body does not last forever, and God can make a new body for the everlasting spirit of a transfigured human soul to occupy whenever there is a need for that man to walk again upon the earth among physical beings. This explanation also presents that Enoch's physical body was unimportant when he was traveling with the Watchers because his soul was eternal. The Watchers were also able to assume a physical form when necessary, but their physical forms were clearly not the same as the human body in some details. The temporary bodies the watchers used might have been more like biomechanical machines, which had limited sensory capabilities and did not require an oxygen-based atmosphere. The basis for this claim has support in how the angel with Enoch could not understand why Enoch was so interested in the odor of a tree on the planet where they took him. The poetic retelling provides the information that the angels did not breathe the atmosphere of that planet and did not have the sense of smell, the same as Enoch, who would have been in human form at that time. If extraterrestrial originating eternally spiritual beings, we refer to as angels, are capable of physical manifestation in the body of a biomechanical creation, then it would have organic components consisting of mitochondrial DNA that is not the same as human DNA. The prohibition of procreation between those extraterrestrial beings known as angels and human beings may have also been a matter of preventing the incompatible exchange of mitochondrial DNA, which would result in abominated mutations. The angels and Enoch were clearly not entirely the same beings in a physical sense when they manifested as physical beings in his presence. Enoch may not have needed his physical body while he was with the watchers when he traveled the universe with them and God made their holy conveyance for the transport of eternally spiritual beings. 
The angels in Enoch did not have a need for ephemeral physical bodies for the continued existence of their spiritual life forces because they were eternal. A human body cannot withstand the forces of inertia when traveling faster than the speed of light. So the holy conveyance can only transport the spiritual energies of an eternal alien species or the spiritual energies of earthlings who have been transfigured to have everlasting spiritual life. The laws of physics apply to physical beings composed of elemental components having mass and inextricably connected by energy. The laws of physics do not apply to beings that have no mass or elemental components when those beings are pure energy. Traveling in the universe without the constraints of the laws of physics is only possible when there is nothing physical to be restricted by those laws. When the Watchers brought Enoch back to Earth, there were three possible methods of enabling him to be physically manifested on Earth again. The first possibility is that Enoch's body had been preserved, and the angels most likely had to revive his body from suspended animation. The second possibility is that the angels created a clone of his human body from Enoch's original DNA and living tissue, which theoretically would have taken about one year to incubate. The third possibility is that the angels provided some other reasonably humanoid facsimile, similar to the one they used for their own physical manifestation on Earth, for Enoch's spirit to inhabit while he was on the Earth. In any of these three possible cases, Enoch would not have looked the same as before. So Enoch needed to immediately explain this situation to his family. Finally, the most significant theoretical explanation of what the quoted statement means is that God does not need human flesh to justify himself to man. In clear refutation of how pagan Christian theologians argue that Jesus was God in the flesh, this ancient extraterrestrial originating statement, which predates all of the pagan nonsense proposed in the time of pagan Roman heretics who editorialized the text that became the canonized Holy Bible, says that God does not do this. God never becomes the flesh, and Jesus Christ was just a man. Because Enoch was also just a man, it was additionally important for Enoch to have his family understand that he was not God in the flesh. He needed to be sure that they completely understood that God Almighty does not appear on earth as a human being, because this also explained why the fallen watcher offspring were not gods in the flesh. Because the information in the book of Enoch has been rejected by the pagans who created the Catholic doctrine, mankind has not been informed of the pre-existing truths from within this text. God never becomes the flesh. So the fraudulent Catholic doctrine's Holy Trinity proclamation blasphemes God. Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh, because God does not take human form or make babies in human females. Almighty God prohibited angels from procreating with human females, and God would not have sinned the same as his sons. Enoch's descendants obviously had no difficulty accepting his renewed appearance on earth or his explanation about how God does not ever become the flesh, but there will be many Catholics and other pagan Christians who will be unwilling to accept the truth of this argument because they will prefer to believe in the polytheistic pagan concepts of Greek and Roman mythologies that have become the basis for paganized Christianity. Jesus Christ 
was not God, nor was he the Son of God, because this concept is clearly based on pagan Roman mythology, originating before the time of Christ. It was the pagan Roman heretics who created and editorialized the existing documents of the New Testament in order to support a converted theology that incorporated some of the message of Jesus Christ with their original pagan beliefs. That theology is known as Catholicism, a pagan religion. The second canto ends without going to the links similarly achieved in other parts of the poem. There really is no more content relevantly related to the topic of this third part of the book, so it was not necessary to continue the second canto to have 12 sub-segments the same as others. It is only coincidental that these two cantos have 12 and 8 sub-segments respectively correlating to the phases for the sun and the moon. The creation of this numerically symbolic correlation occurred naturally and there was not any planned design for this to occur. The result of this poetic effort might also be prophetically explanatory for the content of this third part within the Book of Enoch the Prophet. The luminary segment of the work has numerical significance on multiple levels. Enoch knew mathematics. Numerology as a pseudoscience used to interpret prophecy is mostly unreliable. However, this tends to be the case when analyzing prophecy in the New Testament because heretics have endeavored to corrupt the original text of prophecy in an effort to conceal the numerical significance within the predictions. Accurate interpretation of numerical data within the Holy Bible is not entirely possible because of how that book has become accursedly editorialized over the centuries since the original authors scribed the first parchments between 5,000 to 2,000 years ago. The luminary segment is a rare example of numerologically based prophecy appearing within Enoch's writings. The purpose of the luminary segment has always been to prophesy about future events through the use of numerology and mathematics. Enoch encrypted the prophecy within these riddles using mathematics. Heretics and pagans who have endeavored to editorialize numbers in scriptural texts were most likely baffled by the mathematical concepts Enoch used, so they were unable to determine any sense of them or how to modify them to be something else. There could very well be more mysteries not yet revealed in the mathematics Enoch used to encrypt his prophecies. There is also a considerable possibility that it was Enoch who returned at a later time to be the scribe who made copies of the ancient texts that were likely discarded or destroyed when the Ark of the Covenant was plundered. Fragments of an ancient copy of the Book of Enoch discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls have become evidence of how heretics attempted to eradicate documents that contradicted the altered versions of mosaic text they editorialized during the Second Temple period and during the canonization process. The interpretations of those fragments coincide with the interpretations of the Ethiopic manuscript, but the majority of the Book of Enoch appearing among the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran Caves appears to have been intentionally destroyed. One thing is certain, the Slavonic to Enoch is not supported by the translations of the Dead Sea Scrolls because Melchizedek is the Angel of Peace who did not originate on earth as a human child, born from the body of a dead woman, which is just ridiculous and an obvious curse of fraud. It was God's will that Enoch's prophecy survive, so he could have returned Enoch several times throughout history to ensure that the text survived. Enoch exists eternally, with the watchers the same as Elijah and Jesus, who are three eternal witnesses of God's gift of everlasting life. It may be that Noah only thought he had been transfigured to have everlasting life, the same as his great-grandfather. However, it seems at least reasonably cautious 
to suggest the possibility that there have been a total of four persons in human history that have received everlasting life. Enoch, Noah, Elijah, and Jesus. Muslims might wish to insist that Muhammad was also a recipient of everlasting life, but murderers are not eligible for this gift. This fact is an important distinction for anyone who has taken the life of another human being and has the expectation of receiving everlasting life. Murderers, even those who serve as soldiers in military battles where they killed other human beings, will not receive everlasting life. God grants mercy to the souls of murderers in the form of eternal, peaceful non-existence after being burned in the purifying chasm of fire, but repentance is a requirement for God's mercy. Death prior to the repentance of sin or dying in the act of sin will result in eternal damnation of the soul, which is an everlasting burning in the chasm of fire. There are no Catholic rites or rituals performed after death that will exonerate the condemned soul of a murder because Catholicism is a fraud. The only path for the soul of a non-repentant murder is eternal suffering in a chasm of fire. So repentance for the gift of a mercy prior to death is the better choice. Recidivism is also unacceptable to God, and mercy will not be granted for the recidivists of murder. Enoch's Allegorical Dream Visions The next part of the poem covers the dream visions of the epic. The dream visions are a highly allegorical series of teachings that Enoch presents to his son Methuselah. The poetic version of this part begins with complete alignment to the original translated text. As these allegories continue, the poetic retelling will depart from the allegorical concept and substitute historical names for the original allegorical descriptions. The allegories are very complex and confusing, so it becomes necessary to poetically present them with interpretive information rather than limit the wording to the translated text version. The resulting poetry becomes very revealing of Enoch's accuracy that far exceeds any other prophet. The rejection of Enoch's prophecies by the heretics who canonized the Holy Bible was part of God's plan, because those heretics did not alter Enoch's prophecies to agree with the blasphemous lies of their pagan theologies. Other than the heretical Slavic language translation that attempted to alter Enoch's prophecies with the addition of the Melchizedekian curse, the ancient Ethiopic copies were preserved well enough that the book was eventually translated into English without the fraudulent origin of Melchizedek that has cursed that book and others. The words of Enoch are the words of God, relayed to a man because God chose Enoch to be his first prophet and scribe. Enoch's dream visions will prove this statement to be a fact. The latter part of this dream vision sequence is not entirely explained by replacing allegorical terms with actual, historically relevant terms. The latter portion of Enoch's prophecy are about modern times, and some of these events have happened after the poetry was created. There may have been pages lost or damaged beyond readability, or some materials were not included in the early English translation because of what the potentially missing text said. Still, there is enough in the translation to make reasonable correlations in the poetic retelling. It really should not take a whole lot to decipher the allegorical relationship between Enoch's prophecy and current events. However, Understanding it all may require a true belief in the Holy Spirit. In an effort to be at least a little bit helpful, the author will provide some insight by explaining that the sheep in this category are people, descendants of the Jews persecuted by Hitler in World War II. The ram in this part of the allegory is the nation that was also one of the shepherds God put in charge of caring for those Holocaust survivors. 
In Enoch's vision of future events, these Jewish Holocaust surviving sheep were being killed off by a fascist government that had come to power in a former Soviet Union Republic that is also the historical origin of the Russian people. Aided by the second beast who has risen to power in the world as a pagan Christian and controls the egalitarian nations, the fascist government of Ukraine, led by an antichrist, Jewish descendant, opposes God's chosen protector of those Holocaust survivors. There should really be very little confusion about what will ultimately happen when nations rise up to oppose a nation that God has chosen to protect the true descendants of Enoch. Some parts of this latter-day dream vision continue to be curiously unexplainable, but some of them seem to correlate with the creation of this book and other events currently happening in the world today, particularly with regard to events about the destruction of Jerusalem occurring at the beginning of the apocalypse. The conflict that has erupted in the region since the writing and podcast production of the third edition is evidence of how Enoch's prophecies are coming close to fruition. The correlation between the significant numbers of 7 and 10 in the New Testament book of Revelation and the events of the Hamas uprising occurring on October 7, 2023 is undeniable. There is still an ongoing significance to the prophecy about these two numbers, but the truth of this statement may only be revealed in time. Well, that concludes the summary discussion of Part 3. The next episode will be a reload of Part 4, Canto 1. Be sure to subscribe for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.